Welcome to the Epiphany Movement podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drake Nelson and is a continuation of the series From Weeping to Worship. So for my cousin's high school graduation, he decided to take his senior trip to Denver, Colorado. He had never been on a skiing trip before, and that's what he decided he wanted to do. And so he took his two favorite people in the world, which is A, his mom, hello, and then B, my brother, Drew Nelson. And if you know anything about Gage or Drew, you know those two little rascals can get into more trouble than anybody probably on the planet. And so when we found out they were going to Denver, Colorado, we instantly started praying for them because we knew that there was a possibility that they were going to come back in a casket. There was a high possibility that they were going to break an arm, break a leg. Who knows with them? And so they leave out on a Thursday evening. They get into the airport in Denver, they check into their hotel, get all situated, and the next day they go out to the ski resort. Now, if you are a beginner skier, which they were, and I am, never skied before in my life, neither had they, you start with training for your first day. You pay this Pro, I guess is what you would call them, but this trainer helps you. You start out, they call it the baby slopes, and you just basically learn how to walk and how to not fall down and go down a 10-foot little slope and not break your neck. And so they found out how to do it, and they even graduated to the bigger slopes at the end of the first day. And they called me later that night and were so excited about the next day because the next day they were graduating from the training course and they were actually going to go on a mountain and ski on a mountain for the first time in their life and I asked them how confident are you in yourself how good did you ski today it was it hard I I didn't know I never skied before so they looked well they didn't look at me they voiced to me on the phone Trey we are incredible I mean, we blew the socks off of the professor, okay? They thought that we were professionals, and we had never even skied in our lives before. And so they were confident enough to skip the beginner mountain slope, which is called, I believe, the green slope, and go to the mid-slope, which is called the red slope. Now, if you know anything about skiing, if you have never skied on a mountain before, probably not the greatest idea to just skip the lowest of the... I guess, ski, the starting ski slopes, I don't know, but they skipped it and went to the red slope. Now, they got on the little ski lift, went up and went up and went up and went up and went up, and they saw the green slope, and then as they're continuing up, they passed the red slope, and then they even passed the blue slope, and as they're going up the mountain, they see the big sign, exit here. And so they did. But when they... When they jumped off the ski lift, which I heard is the hardest thing about skiing, by the way, when they jumped off, they quickly realized that they had passed up 
all the baby slopes and were now on top of the mountain, a.k.a. they were on the black slopes. Now, the black slopes are where you go to die, to which we, and they even said, there's this professional-looking skier that kind of walked in front of Gage and Drew, and they were headed to, I don't know what they're called on ice, but in skating they call them half pipes, you know? And he was had a snowboard, and he was going to the half pipes to shred, I guess. And he looked at Drew and Gage and basically asked, can I help you, blah, blah, blah. And Gage and Drew said, how do you get down this mountain? Because we've never skied before, and and this is the Black Slope, and, and where do, what do we do? And he just busted out laughing. And he pointed down the mountain. That's the way down right there. You see all that snow, and the, there's the start, and that's your way down the mountain. To which Drew turned to Gage and said, it's been a good life, but we are dead. It's, it's fine, though, and I hope Jesus likes us. Pretty good because we're about to go see him right now. They got, they started down the slope, and Drew is retelling me the story after they get home. I'm going down the slope, Drake, and if you keep going straight, there's a mile drop to your death. You know, you plummet to your death, but you're supposed to take this little 90-degree bend in the, in the mountain and kind of continue on that trail, but I didn't know how good I was at turning yet, so I just fell on my butt and fell down, <laughs> and I, I made it through it. I got went down the slope, and this is still Drew telling me the story. I went down the slope, and kind of it was fun. It took me about 45 minutes to get all the way down. I fell about 15, 20 times, and by the time I got down, I was exhausted, but I had a really good time. And I just started waiting, and I was waiting, and I was waiting. And even our Gage's mother, Aunt Clancy, was down at the bottom of the mountain waiting on Gage, waiting on Gage. And so finally, I got my phone out, and I called him. Now, it had been about three and a half hours since I had not started the ski slope, but since I had gotten down. And we were really worried that Gage didn't take that first turn, and he was about a mile plummeted to his death. And so I called him, and his response is legendary. I'll never forget it, Drake. He said, well, I said, Gage, are you okay? Where are you at? To which he voice to me, somewhere on this God-forsaken mountain, sitting on my butt playing subway surfers. <laughs> and I nicened it up for church, but those aren't the exact adjectives that he used. And so he calls me a little later on that evening, Gage does, and he finally, well, let me tell you this, he finally makes it all the way t down to the bottom of, of the mountain, and he just comes up. All his equipment is cracked. He's limping. His ski board, his, I don't know what they call it, skis, or uh, it wasn't a ski, it was a snowboard. His snowboard, it was cracked. It really was. The, I don't, know, I don't know what you called it, but they put a little plaster on the outside. Totally cracked. It was hilarious goggles everything he didn't even know where his goggles were he i said gage where did uh somewhere on the mountain i don't know where i lost them he just goes and turns everything into the shack and says i'm sorry i'll pay the difference whatever for the he booked a three-day skiing trip he called me that night he was so mad i can't even say what he's he sat in the room 
for the next three days watching TV. I said, Gage, you didn't want to go back skiing? No, absolutely not. I will never go skiing again. And to this day, he has never been skiing again. Doesn't even want to go. He was so pumped. And I tell that story as a funny way of segueing into this. Sometimes in our life, we look to God as if to say, Oh, oh. Um, God, okay, look, God, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've never skied before, and you're taking me from the green to the red, now we are passing the blue, we are going up to the black slopes, but I never, ever, ever skied before, and you find yourself somewhere in life that you, A, don't think that you're prepared for, B, you never expected to be in this position, but somewhere along the lines, you ended up in a place totally contrary to where you saw yourself a year ago, or a month ago, or even just 10 weeks ago, you do not see how you got to where you are but yet life has unfolded accordingly and so now you look back up the slopes to God and say God where am I and why have you placed me in this position And that's a really scary moment to walk in, to live in, but it's revolutionary if we can just start to uncover some of the ice gloss snow and say, hey, let's just keep digging because I promise at the bottom or no, at the top of this black slope is the presence of God. And it is more importantly, Now, I was a communications major in my undergraduate, so believe me, I know. I know that you're supposed to say the left hook for the end talk, but I'm going to give it to you now, so pay attention. Here comes the left hook. It is more important for you to be in the presence of God than it is for you to be in the middle of the presence of your dreams. Just a snapshot of Moses resizes everything for us because Moses was asked by God, okay, Moses, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get all the Israelite armies. Yes, I want you to get, yeah, okay. I want you to go into the promised land. But now this is God speaking to Moses. God tells Moses, but I will not be with you. Because if I was, I would kill everybody. And you don't want that. So just scurry on to the promised land. I'm going to stay right here. To which Moses looks back up at God or looks across the tent from God and says, If your presence doesn't come with us, let us stay right here forever and ever and ever. Because Moses understood it was better to be in a desert 
with God than an oasis apart from Him. And so let me just speak that over everyone tonight. It is better to be in the will of God where God has placed us in our lives. It is better to be in line with God's Word. It is better that we are suffering for God than living in luxury apart from God. And so sometimes it's better to get the 2020 view. It's better to get the mountaintop vision that we can look across the landscape of our lives to say, hey, I don't understand why God has me here right now, why I am suffering, right, why I'm battling depression or anxiety, why, I'm, why my dreams have fallen through the cracks of my expectations. I don't know why they have, but I do know this. I do know where I, I am in the will of God, and I am where God wants me to be. And because of that, I can be satisfied. I can, I can be happy because to me, to be in a desert with God is better than an oasis apart from Him. I want to look at the story of Joseph. Now, to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Are y'all enjoying this talk so far? Uh, yeah, I know. It's raining. And... Uh, I tr I'm trying to speak loud so that you can hear me over the raindrops. Tin roof, yes, perfect. Good for sleeping, though. Yes, Caleb, we will make you stay awake. Genesis 37. Let, let me segue into this. In life, we need to walk somewhere between being Prepared versus pliable. Now, prepared meaning we prepare for things. You prepare for things. You go to school. You prepare for your test. You actually study for your test. You prepare for the worksheet. You prepare in sports. You prepare for life. You prepare for your job. You prepare for God's expectations. You prepare for God to use you. You prepare your mind. You prepare your soul. You prepare your heart. You prepare your body. You prepare for things. You prepare for your family. You just are preparing for life. But also, we want to be pliable. Now, pliable meaning that we're not so stiff in our plans or even the plans that we think God has for our lives that when they change, we combust or we break. I had a I was a nerd in high school, and so I did not play football nor basketball, and I played baseball for a little while, but my sport in high school was golf. So you can all snicker and laugh, but it paved my way through college, and, and that's the most important thing. So, and golf, and, and really, I'm over this, but it, I, I, I really am over it. But we had to take the, the short bus because they didn't want to give all the money you know, to all the gas money to rent one of the larger buses out for the day, considering we only had about eight people on our team. And so we would, but, but it's fine, you know, we, it was all good. And so one day I put my little driver on the back of the short bus on the very, well, not the back seat, but I think it was like the third to last seat. I just put it across there. 
And one of my teammates stepped on the bus, and we were getting ready for our tournament. His name was Colton Dunaway. Now, he had, he was the probably best golfer on our team, really good golfer. He took his bag and just threw it to the back of the bus because that's where we stored all the bags. And it went airborne to the point that it got right over my driver and landed on it. And when he did, snapped. Have you ever seen John Wick? You know, the, he says, the guy talking about John Wick says, he killed the guy with the pencil. He killed the three men with the pencil. And he's, well, that's what I wanted to do to Colton. I wanted to grab my golf tee out of my back pocket and stab his eye. Hey, now you have an excuse for breaking my driver, bro. But we don't want to be like that. We do not want to be like that driver because when pressure was added, when something was enforced on it, it did not bend. Instead, it broke and it snapped. So we want to be prepared for things, but we also want to be pliable. And we're going to see this in Joseph's story from Genesis 37. So just start with me. and We're going to go in verse 5. And let me find it. Genesis 37, verse 5. Here we go. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more for it. I want to sidebar right here and just say this. If God has given you a dream, God will see you through it. You can be whatever you want to be in your life. You can be whatever you want to be with hard work and determination because a good work, a good work ethic, listen to me, a good work ethic to saying, I will not be stopped, I will work at this, is more important than talent and potential, and you can control your work ethic. You might not control how talented you are. You can work on becoming more talented, but hard work, determination, a good work ethic, drive, adaptability, all these things, more important than how great you can sing or you can play or you can field a ground ball, or how smart you think that you're not. Verse 6, listen to this dream, he said. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Verse 8, his brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. I had a, when I was going to Mississippi College, I had a former, I guess he still is a youth pastor now, but he came into class one day, and he blout, he, he shouted, blouted, what is that? I don't even know. He shouted to the whole class, I'm going to be the pastor of the largest church in the world. And I've heard it from God. To which I kind of chuckled in my mind. I think a lot of people in the class chuckled too. And, I mean, I'm not saying anything that he's not going to be. If that's what God had really spoken to him, then good for him. 
but I give that story as an analogy. There's a wrong way to tell somebody your dreams, and there's a right way. So right now, Joseph is a dream proclaimer. Oh, let me tell you about my dream. I have a dream. I got a dream. And I want to tell everybody about my dream. That's, that, that's Joseph right now. But Joseph's going to learn throughout his story not to be a dream proclaimer, but to be a dream giver. I'll show you what I mean. Verse 9 says this. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he, sold his bro- he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told his dream to his father and as well to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Your mother and I will, and your brothers actually will come and bow low to the ground before you. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what his dreams meant. Verse 12, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Sketchum. Now, when they had been gone for quite some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep out in Sketchum. Get ready and I will send them to you. Now, don't miss these next few words because this is what we're talking about with the prepared Versus pliable. Joseph replied, I'm ready to go. Like Spongebob. Joseph replied, I'm ready. He wasn't prepared. He didn't have, well, he was prepared, excuse me. He didn't have everything that he needed. But he had enough. His father said, Joseph, Joseph, hey, hey, get ready. And he responded, I'm ready. I've been ready. I am prepared. To apply that to our life today is simply to say, get ready for God's calling. Go get the college degree that you need. Move to Atlanta, pursue your music career. Work on the spreadsheet, paint the new baby's room pink. Save money to buy a new car. Think out the ramifications of a decision. Plan your speech to whatever person, uh, what's that speech class called? Public communications. Plan your speech there. I didn't, but you should. But as you prepare, you also want to be pliable. And we're going to learn that in Joseph's story as well. Peek back up in verse 18. This is what it says. Now, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a distance. And as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into these cisterns. We can tell our father. And wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of this scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying hands on him. Now Reuben secretly was planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Verse 1 of chapter 30, mm, I believe 9. I think 39, I believe, says this. 
well take that back let me let me let me let me tell you about this there was this there was this I'm sorry. I'm really trying to talk over. Th is this rain distracting y'all? It's distracting me so bad. It is so loud. I feel like this whole place is about to come down, and the spirit of God is just gonna say, "Hey, what's up? <laughs> what's up, y'all? Let me let." This is crazy. I think it's t coming a tornado. Speaking of tornadoes, did y'all see the Nashville tornado? Yes, it was terrible, wasn't it? Yes. Let's pray for them. Matter of fact, let's pray for them right now. God, I pray that you would be with the people in Nashville, all the families that have has lost lives, all the people that have gone without power, and just for the insurance claims and the families of those who have been lost, God, we pray for them, and we even pray for us as we are here tonight, that the rain would subside, that you keep us all safe, especially as we leave. I know the roads are going to be soaking wet. And please keep any type of tornadoes or lightning strikes away from us here tonight, God. Thank you for, for it all. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry about that, y'all. So there's this guy in my younger class. He, he was, when I was in the fourth grade, he was two. And he would make me so mad. Y'all know what he would say? All, every single day, he would come up. And we would sell things, you know, like I would trade Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Dragon Ball Z cards. And I th the biggest was probably Pokemon cards. We would all trade. We weren't really selling, but we would trade them. And this one dude, he made me so mad, but he was a genius. He was just a genius. He was all about making money. I'll tell you, he would go buy these little $5, not $5, 50 cent bags of chips. You know those hot Cheetos? He would bring them to school. Now, you can get a bag of chips for 50 cents or something like that. He would bring probably 10 bags every single day. Y'all think I'm joking. And he would sell them for $3. And stupid me would buy one every day, all the time especially when he was getting down to like three bags, four bags, he would jack, it up. He would jack the price up even more. He was, he was the smartest fourth grader I'd ever seen. I, I still don't like him to this day just because he probably stole from me. Well, not stole, but he, 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 he conned me at about probably $100 in the fourth grade. No lie. I was just that ignorant. Ignorance is bliss, I guess. But... This is Reuben, right, in the story. Hey, let's not, let's not kill him. Actually, this is Judah in the story. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Let's sell him to these traders. And so they sell him, and now in verse 1 of the following chapter, this is what it says. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Now when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted and entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Now, get this, get this. Joseph never prepared to be a slave, much less to be an attendant to an Egyptian officer because he was pliable, God blessed Joseph in the middle of his situation. Now maybe you're five steps ahead of me and you're thinking, ah, Drake, 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 Drake. Look, look. God was preparing Joseph even in the pit and even in the prison and even to Potiphar. He was always preparing Joseph, to which I say, you're exactly right. Give yourselves a pat on the back. You are exactly right. But here's the thing. Joseph never knew that. Never. Joseph didn't know that God was preparing him for his destiny. Joseph didn't know that God was preparing him for his dream. Joseph didn't know that God was preparing him for the rest of his life. Joseph just knew, I'm in a prison, I'm in a pit, I'm, in, I'm in with Potiphar, I'm somewhere in a really bad place right now in life. But here's what he was. He was pliable in the places that God had him. He didn't say, I don't understand, I don't know, uh, this isn't fair, I don't understand your calling, I don't understand your purpose, nor my purpose in this. He just knew, Joseph just knew, I'm going to be pliable right now where I am going in my life. I'm going to be pliable to what God has in store for me. So even though I'm in a bad position right now, I've been sold, my family rejected me, my brothers hate me, my dad thinks I'm... Uh, dead even though I will sit with Potiphar I will be his slave because do you get this because Joseph knew that God was with him so you ask how can we be pliable in the midst of a tragedy and it is because the same reason because we know that God is with us Yeah. Amen. Amen. Later on in the story, Potiphar's wife came in looking all hot and seductive. Now, Joseph is, owns everything. Not owns, but he's in charge of everything in old Potiphar's house. And his wife, Potiphar's wife, gets to hitting on old Joseph. And so she comes in there. What's that little song like? Bow, bow, bow. I've been really trying, baby. Y'all know that song? Y'all know that song? Yeah, I know. I can sing really good. Just, I'll sing at your wedding. It'll, it'll all be great. So, she slips on in the room, does her hair a couple of times, waves it back. Hey, Joseph, how are you? Looking nice. See that mattress? <laughs> we should uh, we should lie down. What do you think? And Joseph is, oh, uh, 
Okay, A, no, you're an old woman. B, my master, Potiphar, has put me in charge of every single thing that he owns except for you. And, of course, why would I disrespect Potiphar by doing, by going under my name? Have y'all ever been rejected? Isn't it so bad? I've been rejected a lot of times. And that's okay, I got a fiancé now, so it's, it's all over with that. But... She got mad. She said, Oh, you don't reject them. Potiphar's wife. You don't reject them. Me? Oh, I know you didn't. Just. And so she says, Help, help, help. She starts screaming to which she says, Y'all see Joseph? He tra- he's trying to rape me. Now Potiphar comes home after she had told the whole guard and Potiphar's whole household that Joseph tried to do her wrong and tried to seduce her and get her to sleep with her when really it was Potiphar's wife the whole time that was lying on Joseph. Isn't it funny how somebody somebody that get put in authority, they their word gets higher than your word, but it's still whatever. So Potiphar walks in, and he looks at Joseph, and he says, mm, prison, prison, go to prison right now. And so he has him escorted to prison. Now Joseph ends up in prison. And it says about Joseph, but God was with Joseph in the prison. And these people started having dreams. Couldn't figure out what they meant. So Joseph kneeled down, looked at the guy, his tooth's cupbearer of the Pharaoh, looks down, says, Tell me your dreams. He begins to share with Joseph his dream. And Joseph looks at him and he says, This is what your dream means. This is what your dream means. Joseph learned. Remember what we were talking about earlier with my buddy that came into the Mississippi College. I want to be the pastor of the biggest church in the world. Joseph learned not to be a a dream proclaimer but a dream giver. He said, bro, I guess a better word would be dream interpreter. He said, bro, this is what your dream means. This is what your dream means, and I want to help you with this. So it should be in our life. Now, I think it's important to say here that Joseph never prepared for dream interpretations. He didn't take 18 college credit hours to minor in dream interpretation, nor did he read book book after book after book after book on how to interpret dreams. See, Joseph wasn't prepared, but God used him because he was adaptable. We see later in the story that Joseph was released from prison and brought into, uh, into Pharaoh's palace to interpret his dreams. And in that interpretation, in that interpretation, Joseph's dreams from his childhood came true. Now Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all he had. Joseph rescued the entire land from famine. Joseph went from the pit to Potiphar to the palace, and in the meantime he was in prison, but how? Because he was prepared by God, but he was also 
faithful and pliable from runt to ruler. So do not miss this. Do not miss this. I used to think, I used to think, I'm trying to decide if y'all want to hear another story. Do y'all want to hear another story before I tell y'all what I used to think? Okay. I think it's a good one. I think, yeah, I mean, I do. Okay, well, good. You tell me if you think it's a good one, and and I'll go on. Well, Kenzie, Kenzie, Kenzie Sullivan, she, y'all know the church clout, church clout, let me, well, she taught me that dance, and y'all remember how it kind of goes, like, clap over here, clap behind, clap to the side, clap, and then you spin the whole way, and then do it under your legs, it's whatever, it took me probably three hours to learn how to do it, because I can't dance, and I'm totally white, but it's fine, I went to East Haven, we had a little epiphany night, and I walked in there, and there were people doing the church clap dance, and I said, um, buddy, buddies, friends, y'all aren't doing it right. And they looked at me and just started to laugh. And I didn't think anything was funny, so I got up my phone and I called Miss Kenzie. I said, Miss Kenzie, can you please tell these wannabe Michael Jacksons the correct way to do the church clap dance? And Kenzie bust out in hysterical laughter. She said straight, I don't even know how to do I just made something up. Thanks, Kens. Now I look like a complete moron. Bye. I thought I knew how it was supposed to be done. I thought I knew, but I was ignorant all along. And my friends, that is the Peter syndrome. And we need to be careful about the Peter syndrome. Peter, do you remember this? He looks, Jesus says, hey, I'm about to go die, Peter. Peter looks back at Jesus and says, no, 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 no. We don't have time to be dying today. You don't have to be dying today. But you don't have time to be dying today. We got families to preach to. We got a kingdom to take over. We have a Rome and Roman Empire to overthrow. We got a lot to do. Nobody has time to die. And Peter thought conquer Rome and kill, but Jesus knew be subjected by Rome and die. And that was the way. Peter thought he knew, but he was ignorant all along. And my friends, we do not want to... I'm just kidding. We're not friends, whatever we are. We don't want to be the same way. We don't want to be walking in our life, walking through our mundane day-to-day-to-day-to-day and say, God, uh, why don't you put me here? I'm not supposed to be here right now. We're not supposed to be dying. We're not supposed to be going to Rome to die. We're supposed to be taking Rome over. What are we doing here? We're going up to the Black Slopes. Pump the brakes. Let's jump off the ski lift. God, I can't do it. I don't, I don't want to do it. More or less. This isn't what I deserve. And so the Peter syndrome sneaks into my life where we tell the author of life how, to, how, how, how we should live ours. How to guide our ship. And get this. Dreams, like you, you, your 
your sin has consequences. I don't want to belittle that. So you say, well, <clears throat> let's say there's a couple of married people in the room right now. Let's just say that you are married and your spouse walked out the door on you because you cheated, right? And so your spouse divorced you because you cheated. Your sin has a consequence. Now you're living in somewhere that you never thought. Your dreams aren't fulfilled because you sinned. And you get what I'm saying? Okay. And all the youth in here can easily understand this. You didn't think you would be the laughing stock of the whole school, but you sent the pictures, and now your sin has found you out. Now you are the laughing stock of the whole school. Your sin has consequences. And sometimes we get in a place of life where it's not our fault. It was just life's uncontrollable circumstances, or someone else came against us, or Satan came against us, or sin came against us, or whatever. But sometimes it's our own fault. But I want you to know this. God has more grace than a GPS. God has more grace than a GPS. When we are driving down the road and we miss a turn, Siri often says, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Take this left and then that right and then that left and then another left and you'll be back on the road that you're supposed to be on in the first place. And if we think that Siri can get us where we're supposed to go, if we miss a turn, how much more grace does the author of life have? How much more grace does our Heavenly Father have? How much more grace does our Savior have than Siri? To say, yeah, you screwed up, you took the wrong turn, you, but I'm going to get you where you want to go. So sin has consequences, yes, but God has grace I used to think, I used to think, I'll finally get to my conclusion for us tonight. I used to think that the story of Joseph was all about Joseph got a dream, you need a dream. And the mantra of Joseph was, if I, I want to be the greatest salesman of, you know, I, I just wrote this book called Midnight Worship, and you know, I want to be a New York Times bestseller. I want to be, I used to think that the story of Joseph was Joseph got this dream, and he held on really tight to his dream, and he would never let it go. He would, ne he would chase his dream from runt to ruler, from the prison to the palace. He just followed his dream. But I started reading this story, preparing for this talk, and I understood that is totally contrary to Scripture, because Joseph, not, and, and I am so sick of people saying, just follow your dreams. Because Joseph never, ever, ever followed his dreams. Get this, he followed his God, and then his dreams followed him. To which I just want to talk about the left hook again. To be in a desert with God, in the prison with God, in the pit with God, in Piver's house, but with God is way better than being in the palace, but without God. It's way better for your dreams to crash and burn in the presence of your father than for your dreams to absolutely succeed and God be nowhere around you. And so what I'm saying is this. Don't follow your dreams. Don't invest in your whole life trying to live up to somebody else's expectations of what they think that you should be. Don't even let your whole life be measured up to what you think you should be in 
instead get in God's word and follow. This is who God has called me. This is who he wants and has determined that I should be in my life. Let me line my life up with that. And as I follow God, his dreams, not mine, will follow me every step of the way. Amen and amen. You may be dismissed.